Let me say welcome to this week's episode of As the Actress Said to the Critic, where we, myself, the critic, Sarah Crompton, and me, Nancy Carroll, the actress, I have a special guest, our first director guest, Jeremy Heron. Very pleased to have you with us. Thank you so much. Welcome. Nice to be here. I mean, I'm at home, so it's always nice to be at home. But it's nice to have you here. Thank you. You've been shooting around the world. We were just talking in, in the runoff. Uh, you've just got back from New York where you've opened a new musical mm-hmm. and about to open in London, Be- The Best of Enemies by James Graham. Best of Enemies I've seen because it was on initially at the Young Vic and then um, is coming back into the Noel Coward now with um, slightly changed cast. How is it always, how is it going back into a show that you know that you've done once and then, and then you start again? It's the best, actually. It's really wonderful experience because the first time we've had this experience haven't we yeah. nancy on the the moderate soprano um you the particularly if it's a new play or a new show you don't really know what it is and you do your first production with a bit of you know courage and faith that it's going to work but you don't really know how it's going to work and then if you've transferred it or the show's got future life then you've got that massive amount of wind in your sails because it's obviously been successful enough for people to want to see it again so you hit the second production with a load of confidence and with some you know real um, positivity and understanding about how it works and it means then that the work is about improving what you've got or adapting to the space or adapting to whatever new people are joining you on that journey and those feel much less sort of anxiety making choices than will the thing work in the first place and what are the rules and have we got it right and all of those things so it's always um a real privilege and i think you know if if you're lucky enough to get it right enough the first time then the second time and if there's a third time if you're going to go to new york or tour it or revive it again then you really you really do understand it because um i can't remember what the who who said it originally but it always rings really true that somebody said that all you know all works of art are never finished they're only abandoned (laughs) and i always feel that i always feel that about a show you know that you could keep working on it for years and years and years until somebody says actually you know it's time to stop yeah and whenever you go back to see a production whenever i go back to see a production over the course of its run i always think oh god we could try this or there's that different thing that we could do with the design or we could just have another look at it yeah. Um, then, so they're never finished, and um, doing it again is a is a, a, a real privilege. Did it feel like that on the Moderate Soprano? Because that's how you know each other, isn't it? That yeah. you, uh, Jeremy, directed you yeah, in yeah, the Moderate Soprano. Yeah, we did soprano. it um, initially at Hampstead, and then Duke of York's two that's years right. later. And we and it was interesting just listening to you now the idea of what new actors bring to something when you rediscover it. Because I think the, the the danger is that you feel that you're in a position of you know expertise yeah. you know having done it before and that you've got these new people who are sort of taking on from where someone left off and I think actually I always feel in retrospect that the opposite is true that 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 you that it's a false confidence and actually giving more responsibility in that room to the actors who have taken over who can look at it with fresh eyes is a bet is a better balance in the room yeah because the, the muscles that you think that you're falling back on, usually the, the distance of time since you did it the last time, is ha, has changed your derma in a way that you can never possibly know. Um, and, and so you, you sort of go into a muscle memory as opposed to 
rediscovering it from scratch with the new sort of chemical makeup of that room. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, if I were ever in that position again... I think what you do ultimately, you go, actually, you're, you're completely right. And what you've brought to it is really interesting. And it is the energy that we need to, to remount this show. Yeah. It isn't always the first thought, but I think ultimately it ought to be, which is to rely completely on the new energy of the people coming in. Yeah, I mean, you've got to respond to the new elements. And I think doing it without any new elements is a bit, would be a bit sort of like turns it into some sort of relic, you know, some yeah. sort of ossified thing. And theatre is at its best when it's alive and dynamic and changing and constantly evolving from you know beat to beat and night to night and i think where you have you know when you've done a bit of recasting and and we because um because of charlie edwards's availability uh he played the role of gore vidal at the young vic um but that's given us an opportunity to work with a brilliant american actor called zachary quinto and just the, the, just the fact that he's american yeah. actually yeah. american is just really you know fantastic yeah new ingredient in um in the show so that's sort of woken everybody up and he said in a, he gave an interview this week which i was reading or last week where he said he said interesting nancy he said that that he felt like he was the new boy in the room and that he felt that anxiety yeah. about stepping into this play which because it's it's a play written by james graham about the debates between william f buckley and gore vidal which were 1968 debates they're famous debates james graham argues it's the moment everything changes but because they're debates because they rely so much on that interplay between two actors i mean introducing somebody new must must be so fascinating to the dynamic i would have thought yeah i mean you can't fake it you can't wait until the other person stops speaking and then do what you've always done it's a dynamic relationship that you're you know we're all trying to change each other we're all trying to make an impact make a connection and david and zach had to evolve their dynamic and that it's still evolving in a really really brilliant brilliant way and really great for david that it's different you know yeah and wonderful to reflect on what a great job charlie did in the role and equally wonderful to realize that you know there's that thing isn't there about acting where you're becoming a character and so ostensibly you're you're a different person but actually what you're representing is you're representing representing something sort of deep and um, true about yourself as an artist. You know, yeah, that's yeah. an interesting thing in the whole, in the whole kind of Stanislavskian idea of transformation. Mm. We kind of forget that actually we're interested in specific actors and their view of the world and how they parcel up reality for us. And um, it's just wonderful to acknowledge with the same historical character, you know, he's discernibly researchable, Gore Vidal. You can see him, you can find him on online, you can see the debates. But Zach and Charlie's versions of him are as different as Zach and Charlie are from, from each other. And, and that's kind of wonderful to acknowledge that um, actors' personalities have a huge impact yeah. Yeah, yeah. In, the, in the piece, even if you are trying to represent somebody who seems sort of stuck in time to some degree. Well, it's really interesting. I mean, I think, you know, even if, like, I don't know whether you were able to take the original cast completely when you went with the Hilary Mantels to America. So Wolf We did, uh, yeah, a couple of people sort of fell away and some new people turned up just through availability or family circumstances or whatever. Because I think what I was going to say was even even when it is pretty much, for the most part, the same original company, the space and, you know, political atmosphere and everything 
whether we discuss it or not, affects everything. You 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 have to rework something. You have to reimagine it, and all of that subconsciously and consciously affects the amount of weight or power you bring to a performance. I mean, I've I've taken over a couple of times. Uh, when things have transferred or if somebody's had to drop it out. And you can see people almost shifting around you and working out how to sort of shift their weight and and response and or, or hear things differently. And, and however much you try to fit in, particularly if you take over with a much shorter rehearsal period, mm-hmm. because often, it, you know, it'll be yeah. half the amount yeah. of time. Yeah. You know, you, you're doing all of that just much more quickly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think... It, it is an interesting thing, the whole nature of recasting uh, and what you bring to it and how, you know, how much is gathered in when you start from scratch as to, as opposed to taking the bat on. But I think ultimately it will always be a process of ownership. Yeah. Just, yeah. It's, it's just a question of how long you get to do it and whether you actually in fact have to do it on the job. Yeah. yeah. And what's so fascinating about Best of Enemies, which we're going to go and see again, um, well, I'm going to see again, and Nancy's going to come with me this time, but um, is the casting of David Howard as Buckley, because mm. Buckley was this kind of, um, yeah, ferocious, clever, right-wing commentator, um, views that I think it's fair to say that most of the kind of London theatre audience, certainly the audience at the old, uh, at the Young Vic, um, would not listen to. Yeah. And because David Harewood plays him, it's really interesting what you say, that you bring something of yourself to it. Because he plays him, and he plays him so beautifully, you listen to him. And it's a very, I mean, it must have been kind of thrilling to... Ca- to sort of cast him as mm. Buckley. I wonder how you made that decision to cast It was a provocation from Kwame, who runs the Young Vic. And I had, I'd been thinking absolutely down the line, you know, um, sort of verisimilitude casting. Right. yeah. Um, and it was a really, really interesting provocation where he, he talked about casting one of those actors as a, an actor of colour, which just um, kind of, was really interesting yeah, and it yeah. felt like the obvious thing to do would be to do he might have suggested a specific actor to play Gore Vidal right which I thought was like such an interesting idea but actually not great casting just in terms of temperament and sensibility and then David Harewood was floated as a possibility because I think Kwame knew that he was coming to the end of a big TV thing and was looking for something and I just thought that would be fantastic for Buckley. Yeah. And actually that would that would be so it was a really good bit of baton passing from um Kwame to, to, to me and that that suddenly felt like the exciting yeah. version of it, in that it would be unpredictable to cast a black actor as somebody who you could convincingly argue was a racist yeah. or a yeah. white supremacist. Yeah. Um in a in a conventional and socially acceptable way. Um, it would just keep the story going a bit longer, and it and I think it does because you don't discount it. You, you listen to everything that he says about yeah. race with sort of slightly wide eyes, and it really makes you meditate on race in America in the 20th century because you're thinking that you've got a kind of almost like an automatic kind of Brechtian um, mechanism at the yeah. heart of the show where yeah. you're believing him because he's such a brilliant actor. Yeah. And you're, enjoy- you're delighting in his performance, which is really ornate, because Buckley was like full of weird mannerisms and kind of, 
you know, his tongue coming out and grinning and his yeah, eyes. And he does, yeah, he does. So it's like a, it's it's like a big characterization yeah. because yeah, it has yeah. to be. But because it's David, you're, you're, you're in and out of believing him as a character, but also meditating on what, what race does to the story. Yeah. Um, so it's a, I think it was a brilliant provocation yeah. and a brilliant artistic direction from Kwame. Yeah, and, and we got into a really, really good place. And I think David, you know, David had to be persuaded Oh, really? That it was a good That's idea. Um, and eventually he just decided to sort of just close his eyes and jump. That's interesting to me because, of course, from the outside, I don't think you do necessarily always think that those conversations happen with artistic directors necessarily. You always imagine. I, I think I do have the idea of the director still as a kind of Stanislavski and guru, you know, the kind of going in with the concept of play and the writer being, you know, the auteur. So it's interesting that an artistic director can come in and change the picture so much. And that, yeah, it's a good collaboration. I've been lucky. I've had lots of good moments with really good artistic directors. And, they, you know, and I've been an artistic director myself. And you do, you, you are kind of at the helm in a different way that you're doing kind of macro. Yeah. Um, those choices are sort of, sort of a bit more um, strategic and, and, and bird's eye, as it were. And you want, you're given the resources of your company to a director so you want that show to represent what you're trying to do with the company mm-hmm. right. um and when i was at headlong it was you know we were, we had certain things certain artistic objectives that we wanted to hit and it wasn't just about indulging a particular director's sort of artistic imperative it was just it was like how does that fit in with what we want to do in a broader way and kwame's project at the young vic is it, it's really clear what its objectives are and it was cool that he he brought that to bear on on the production and I yeah. think it it improved the production and gave it a sort of different reach in a in a way that I'm really grateful for. What drew you into theatre in the first place? Into theatre? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? I don't know. I think it's probably a bit of a cliche in that I was a bit of a misfit. Um, I went to a boarding school. I wasn't particularly happy there. And there was an inspired man called John Harrison who ran the kind of, there was a theatre, a little converted church, there was a theatre. And um, it was an all-boys school, but the theatre was where girls would come and be part of the show. So, you know, it wasn't about trying to find a girlfriend, but it was about being in a community that wasn't just all about a lot of boorish <laughs> boys. And, yeah, I just enjoyed it and felt like it was a place to put... Um, whatever those very specific psychological um, aspects of myself to to good use. And um, I felt, yeah, it was something that I just really enjoyed and it felt like a kind of, like a sort of tribal thing very early. Mm. And I thought I wanted to be an actor because when people look at theatre, that's what they think theatre is. And um there was one moment where um, I got given a part in one of the school plays and it was like a part with like two scenes or three scenes maybe. And I complained about it, you know, because I was obviously irritatingly precocious. So I was like, <laughs> you know, this is ridiculous. I'm yeah. not going to play that part. It's terrible. And um, John Harrison, who's this wonderful teacher, said, well, you're, you're only annoyed because not that you want to play a, a bigger part, it's that you want to be involved more. And I thought, yeah, that was exactly right. And he said, well, maybe you should try directing because then that's you're really involved in everything then and that might really suit you. 
So he said, go and spend the summer reading a whole lot of plays. And if you choose something, um, I'll support you directing it when you come back after the summer holiday. God, how brilliant. Yeah. And he really, really did. Um, so I read everything. And the one that I decided that I would direct is just like, hilarious. <laughs> is Wojtek by George Buchner. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is the hardest play that I could find. <laughs> And, and dark, um, really Yeah, dark. really dark and sort of really almost impossible to produce. Yeah. Sort of expressionistic masterpiece. And yeah, and he 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 helped me do it and he actually got a professional designer to help me work on it. And I did this production that, and I was just very, very happy. Yeah, yeah. Immediately. It was the age of 17. And I really felt like, oh God, I could do this. This is a great fun what job great for me. great teacher though. Totally brilliant, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful man. Is he still around? No, he died a few years ago and uh, I was close to him and he would come and see productions and write me sort of extending emails, criticising. Awesome. <laughs> In a really great Teaching way. Just really wonderful, really wonderful uh, man. And yeah, I was lucky enough. I made a, I did a eulogy at his funeral just to, and I, I was very clear about how I think you've got to tell these people in your life that they're important yes, to you and they made a difference and I was lucky enough to be able to do that on a few occasions I wrote a few things about him and yeah he was really really great and really believed in me when it didn't feel like um, a lot of that faith was forthcoming from yeah. other uh, other directions so gave me a path in life and I sort of followed that you know it is so clever as well I think you know there's so much about the education system now that squashes spirit as opposed to harnessing it and for him to see that you your sort of slight anxiety wasn't you um needing to be told yeah. off but actually to be given more responsibility yeah. it was a real crossroads moment yeah. Yeah. and he and he saw what it was and that's the genius really isn't it yeah he was a really brilliant teacher and he did that with lots of other people as well Amazing. Um, and very, you know, very special. I mean, this is all in a context of like intense privilege of being at a boarding school that actually had the resources to, to have a theatre with, you know, a, a, a man who was um, a classicist and very wise and very wonderful person, you know, that and that, that it's a shame that those privileges aren't afforded to yeah everybody well if anything they're being cut back aren't they more and more that it's harder and harder to do drama or dance or well it's seen as sort of superfluous yeah which is the whole so deeply wrong really do did you go straight into theatre then though did you direct immediately or did you Uh, i went i had i did a um gap year where i worked is a hospital porter and then i went to the royal scottish academy of music and drama to, to do the it was called the ba Right. Um, there weren't a load of directing courses at the time, and I don't think I would have wanted to do that anyway. But but I went and did the BA, which is like probably sixty percent acting, and then some academic stuff and some practical technical stuff in um, Glasgow at the drama school and at the University of Glasgow, and that felt like a kind of bespoke director training that I'd sort of thought, well, I want to be a director, and therefore learning how to act might be a really interesting route. Right. So I think that's why. Um, I've always loved working with actors and being able to get in there with them and sort of muscle in and talk about the kind of, you know, the minutiae Mm. of their choices rather than be a kind of slightly more distant director just dealing with the design and letting the actors get on with their stuff. I really love getting in there with actors and talking about the psychology and also just the technical aspects Mm. of, you know, how to present the, the, the part. 
Yeah, so when I think about your career, I tend to think about, um, so I think two things, you may think different things, Nancy, but I, I tend to think that you, the two things I would notice that you've always done innovative work, you've done an awful lot of new plays. And you've always worked with that. Yeah, lots of sort of actors. So like the first thing, it's probably maybe quite late on with you, but the first thing I really remember by you is that face, oh, yeah. the polysenum and uh, the royal court with, um, well, in fact, I saw it on transfer when it had Matt Smith in it. And he was in the first production. Was he well. in the first production yeah. as well? Right. So, And, and that sense of a, a, a kind of thrilling new playwright and a thrilling new actor. Um, and it's Lindsay Duncan as well, mm. isn't it? And she was 19 when she wrote that, wasn't she? Polly, yeah, yeah, extraordinary play. But is that is that a true um, is that a true kind of sense of what you've liked that you've always looked for sort of new work? Always responded to new work. Yeah, I mean, I love the Royal Court was my sort of church, as it were. Um, that was always the place that I wanted to work at, and now I think everybody does new writing. It's definitely part of the thanks to the Arts Council in you know in that era that they really supported new work but at the time in the kind of the dark days of the 80s when yeah. I was growing up that actually it was a it was an outlier yeah um and even the whole history of the, of the royal court you know the, from the 50s onwards it was mm. an out cultural outlier where it was actually trying to create a new theatre that responded specifically to the social conditions of its time and therefore you're sort of enjoying its progressiveness so that was the place that I really wanted to work because it felt like it was a really serious theatre. And, yeah, I was to just totally focused on, on working there and was lucky enough to end up there. And, yeah, that was the kind of... Um, that was the church, that was the religion that I, I chose and everything's come from that. Um, and the, like the idea... Uh, is it Bill Gaskell that said... Um, I don't know who this was, but it feels right anyway that you should treat a new play like a classic and a classic like a new play. Mm -hmm. So I've always tried to sort of find that, you know, find out what, what really is the writer's intention and how do we make that really fresh. And I'm much more comfortable, I think, as a director being behind the writer in terms of how you present a new play rather than doing a revival where the attention is on, you know, what is this director going to do with this play and what's interesting about it my brain doesn't really work like that i like to go what does the right what's the writer's intention what is this play what is really the part of this play and how do we get it across with maximum impact it's if i'm thinking about what am i saying yeah yeah about this play then i'm i'm much less interested in it i'm much less yeah engaged and, and therefore i think a new play really suits me do you like having the writer in the room yeah yeah, I mean, what's not to like? It can be quite a lonely job, and the having the writer there... It depends on who the writer is, of course. Yeah. But um, um, <laughs> most of them... Um, Sometimes I love they need to the, go and have a few cappuccinos. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, you talk to David and love working with him because yeah. he's kind of wonderful. And, David Hare, yeah. Um, very clever, and it's very clear about how his play plays work. Um, but genuinely, I think, likes watching them unfold and watching what actors do with them. Yeah, he's not tenacious in that way. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't want... He, he doesn't... And he's a very good director as well. And and despite that, he's very generous about what you can bring. Yeah. You know, and he backs you. He was one of the first people to really back me. He saw that face and then really enjoyed it and then said to Dominic Cook that he wanted me to direct his new play. And that was like an incredible gift yeah. just in terms of 
industry profile for someone as celebrated as David to go, yeah, he's he's the guy that I want to work with. Yeah, and that's so, been a really lovely relationship. And I've ended up having really lovely friendships with him, with James Graham, with um, Hilary Mantel, with Polly Stenham, with all sorts of lovely writers, you know, and they're great. They're very particular. They're in their own little silo being writers. I'm in my little silo being a director. And it feels like there's an equivalence where you can connect and you can get the show done um, that's heartening and and soulful. What does it feel like when a play like That Face or um, Polly Stendham or, or The Vertical Hour, which David Hare and or This House by James yeah. Graham, because nobody had heard of James Graham when he did This House. Yeah. I mean, now it's impossible not to hear of James Graham. He's been so successful mm. and he's so dominant. But This House, you know, you've got a play about um, a hung parliament in the 1970s. It's not obviously promising material. How did you feel when that sort of arrived? Wonderful, In your yeah. lap. He's How does it, it arrive? How does it actually happen? You get, a, you get a, on that, in that instance, I got a call from Nick Heitner saying that he was going to send me a play. Yeah, it was like a series of things. So I did a I did a play for Nick at the National Kwame Kwame's play Statement of Regret in the Cottesloe, and he hadn't then he hadn't given he hadn't sent me anything else for a while. You know, I hadn't been in touch for a while. <laughs> a bit so a bit like with my um, drama teacher John Harrison, I made a complaint. You know, I, was like, <laughs> I was like, "What's going on? Did you you know have, you, have I fallen off the list? What's happening?" And he said, oh, yeah, no, no, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, so we'll, you know, of course, you're still very much in our minds and I'll send you something. And, of course, he sent me something. I can't remember what it was, but he sent me something yeah. after I'd provoked him. And then I read it and was like, oh, no, I don't like this. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> so it was like one of those sort of things where, I'd, you know, he'd actually come up with the goods and sent me a, sent me a play. And then I didn't, and I didn't, didn't respond to it. And I was canny enough to know that you don't want to be stepping into that territory and directing something that you don't want to direct just in order to stay in with um, with the management. And he totally understood that. And then a few weeks later, the unpromising This House right. turned up, <laughs> a play about a Labour minority government. I yeah. mean, who doesn't want to see a play about a Labour minority government? <laughs> but um, yeah, it was like wonderful. So you read it and the energy just, you know, the, it flew off the page. It was unlike anything else. It, it, I mean, James is like kind of generationally a complete... Um, a complete misfit, you know, who in that generation loves theatre as much as James does, who in that theatre loves the kind of nuts and bolts of parliamentary politics yeah. as much yeah. as he does, who is prepared to write big gags, you know, big jokes, bits of music, bits of real entertainment, and yet still be um, plumbing the depths of of uh, emotional um, and, and political, ideological but it's so interesting. One of the things that came up with David, we, we were talking about, and I think keeps coming up sporadically, is that, you know, that how do we come out of this sort of quagmire that the arts are in at the moment? And that, that, that politically seems to be the sort of uh, the thing that, that, that has previously driven theatre back to a sort of green patch, you know, that any any country culture that has been through dark times before, that theatre sort of plums away questioning and protesting um, and that there seems to be, even during, as we said before, uh, you know, apartheid Africa and David was saying in Russia, that, you know, that there, there seems to be a little pocket of room around the arts where if it's, in the, if it's done in the right way, governments leave theatre alone and that's the protesting 
ground. That's the happy thought forum. And we're sort of waiting for for that to happen within British theatre, you know, for there to be this comfortable pushback against what's happening currently mm. within politics. And James seems to be completely at the, the forefront of that, that, you know, that, that happily, articulately, brilliantly pushing and questioning and sort of going back into the archives and saying, OK, this mistake that's happening now, let's see where it happened three times before 30 years ago, mm. you know. And, and you sort of... You want more people to take that lead, really, and to say, OK, he's, he's done it, let's keep going. And, and he seems to be in a minority. I, yeah. I don't know if I'm being naive saying that, but I, you want people to sort of get behind him and do much more of Well, he's, he's just doing his own thing. I think what's really interesting about um, James is that he's not a kind of radical in, in any ideological sense. Yeah. Or he's not... It's not agitprop, you know. He's not trying to change the world. He's trying to make connections yeah. in a really populist and really interesting, you know, he, want, he wants to bring his integrity and his intention to the mainstream, you know. So it doesn't feel like a weird bump to be taking this show into the West End. It feels like the natural... Yeah. But that's the genius of it, that you sort of... But actually what he's saying, you know, there are there are warnings to the stories that he, yeah. he brings. yeah. You know, come on, guys, this needs questioning. We need to yeah. call people out on this. Well, he explains yeah. the place we're in, doesn't he? So that, yeah. I do think that's the brilliant thing about the best of enemies, that taking that debate of from 68 and, you know, actually giving it relevance to why it matters now, mm. I think is, is a fascinating thing, um, generally. I wanted to ask about assistant directors. Oh, yeah. I Did, was an assistant director for a yeah, long time. Yeah, and just about that... Um, relationship as a, an assistant, you know, and then and then having your own assistants now about that relationship and about directors coming into the business now, mm. and and what what you feel that relationship is. Do you think because I I mean I've been in so many different rooms where the 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 assistant director is given either you know lots of responsibility in the room or. You know, it's it's much more about observing and working out of hours and coming in with lots of prep the next day and whatever. I mean, but having been that person and 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 then now having your own, what do you feel that that relationship is? Well, it can be all sorts of things. I mean, it's it's about it's about a link. I suppose it's about the relationship, isn't it, between the two the two of you? Um, I was really lucky. I had some really good um, directors to assist. And I think I stole, learnt an enormous amount from them. And sometimes I think about my work and I can see the kind of, the um, the sort of progeny of, of certain aspects of that work as being encouraged. I mean, I think it's my own blend, but it's definitely, you know, like, I, so, so the directors that I assist, Stephen Daldry, who's still my hero, Mm. Um, director called Roger Michelle who died yeah, yeah, last yeah. year it was just Michelle. great yeah. loved working with him um, I worked with what did you assist on him with a play called My Night with Reg oh, at the yeah, Royal Court yeah. and then um, worked with him on Under Milkwood at the National Theatre oh brilliant so I had a kind of couple of shows with him and Howard Davies was also a kind of huge mentor and um, supporter yeah uh so, like a really interesting combination of directors, and I think the virtues when you look at those 
all white men, interestingly. When you look at their um, work, you can probably see some aspects of my work in, in that, you know. Yeah. There's kind of Howard's sort of forensic detail with actors, maybe, that I would reach towards some of Stephen's sh- sort of showmanship and theatricality, really embracing the kind of design and all of that. Um, a bit of that with Matthew Warchus and um, his real skill for comedy was extremely um, inspiring. Yeah. And then Roger was sort of like brilliant with new plays and making really clean emotional choices and just having a kind of, he had a really great attitude at the nuts and bolts of making a show. Like he would be, he would be a very particular sort of leader in the, in the, in the production process. So I got something from each of those. It's interesting. Um, that, that, yeah, that they, you, you, absorbing them like a like a vampire yeah exactly (laughs) like a sponge you know so lucky to be in those rooms and seeing those interactions and being inspired by them and then Uh, at Headlong you did it the other way around didn't you where you were the artistic director and you would try you were bringing on um, different directors yeah I mean a lot of those directors were already on their path Um, but yeah it's, it's, it's nice to have I've got a really good assistant at the moment He's been made an associate for the Best of Enemies, Annie Kershaw. He's really great and he's got really good taste. And, you know, you, I suppose you're just looking for that link with somebody that yeah. you can really trust um, and somebody who will really flourish under your encouragement. But actually, you know, a good assistant can end up doing a huge amount of stuff for you. Yeah. And what I love with with my assistants is to, like, download a lot of the... Um, the kind of remembering and the lists and all of that stuff that goes into making like a show so that yeah. I can be in a state of innocence when I watch it where I'm not trying to think, oh, God, we haven't done this and we need to do that. That someone like Annie, for example, is just great at just taking all of that information and, and being really smart with it. So I can be a bit like a kid watching the show and thinking, where do I get bored and, you know, why? Yeah. And how do I fix that? So it's really supportive when you have a good relationship with an assistant. And I suppose the good assistants wait for their moment. And then when inevitably, as inevitably happens, the director suddenly has a crisis of confidence or has a moment where they don't know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. (laughs) That actually you're there to go, it's fine. This is what I would do at this point. This is where I think we need to put some energy. And I think I was probably quite good at that as an assistant, just to kind of not be in their face yes because that's a terrible thing when you have an assistant that's desperate to be yeah yeah where you are you yeah. just don't want you just don't want that energy you want somebody who's going to be there to back you up but when when it's their moment that actually they can be make a really decisive yes contribution and I've you just need a couple of those that. in each yeah production you know yeah, a couple yeah. of moments where actually that um that person comes into into play and it's a it's a huge role and on a big show I just worked with a really brilliant woman called Portia Krieger in America and um, that show was so big that uh, almost famous musical was so big that actually she was brilliant as a conduit between getting around the conversations that I just didn't have time to have yeah yeah so people would eventually work out that the best way to get to me to make a decision towards you know the success of the show or, or what they were doing was to go through Portia and she would sort of be a bit of a gatekeeper yeah and that's a really helpful role when you're working at that scale yeah 
So we're coming, I think, to the um, end of our time together. Um, but I wanted just to ask uh, one other thing about, because you've launched a new company, Second yeah. Half Productions, mm. so Best of Enemies is... Part of that, yeah. Part of that. And, and it seems, and, and looking at the website, you know, it's obviously so much committed to innovation and bringing on talent from people who haven't necessarily got access, yeah. easy access to theatre. Um, why did you feel the need to do it? And, and does it feel kind of, you know, like Nancy's as a sort of trepidatious time to do it, you know, when theatre itself at the moment seems quite an uncertain career? Yeah, maybe. Maybe it is. And I mean, it feels like a pretty good time to go from the subsidised sector into the commercial sector because it seems like, you know, I, I was in America when the latest Arts Council um, roundup happened with a whole lot of people going to the wall. It just feels like that's a very, very challenging sector to be working in where, where for some reason we have to keep making the argument that supporting the arts is an important and helpful thing. I'm so pleased that I don't actually, that I'm not running one of those companies yeah. and worrying about... Um, a group of staff who are working themselves, you know, to the to the bone without a, a, a central government body that's properly appreciating the importance of it and is chasing certain strategic objectives in the most um, unsophisticated, seemingly unsophisticated way. And it is it is complicated because no one should have the right to government money, but it doesn't feel like a massively sophisticated response to it. Um, and I suppose in light of central government um, funding diminishing, then yeah. the Arts Council is is the me- messenger and the messenger is ending, ending up getting getting shot at for, it's for a really... It's a whole long conversation. Well, it's a, it's a longer it thing. But, but, but interesting anyway. that you think that the commercial... Yeah, so it's better to be clear from the answer. Well, I don't even know whether it's better because you, you, you're doing a different thing, but it feels like cleaner... Um, you know, nice not to be a white male in a position of power in a subsidised theatre company and taking up a berth for that could be more progressively filled. That feels like a good thing. And I think the work that I'm interested in doing at the moment is commercial. So there's a kind of weird honesty to that transaction. You know, you need to sell some tickets. You need to have the the idea and all the casting or whatever in order to get a theatre. Right. So it feels fairly basic in quite a good way. Um, and that's really what led to me and Alan Stacey setting up the company. And if, you know, if I was going to do commercial work, then it made sense to team up with with him and other people that I love working with to, to try and keep a level of control over what we're doing. And like I walk past the old Carrot and I see all the artwork for Best of Enemies and I just think this is really good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm in some sort of conversational control with how we're doing it, you know, and I know that again with um, Zach Quinto and that his, he's happy with his housing. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that I've got some control over if he's not happy with yeah. his housing, I can have a word with one of my colleagues and we can sort it out. So I feel like we can create a culture of around the production that, that I've got some control over, you know, and there's all sorts of things that you don't have control over, but the conditions that you work in and, and how you, how we operate as a production company and make sure that everybody's looked after and that they feel heard and that it feels like a, a great place to come to work is something that I can control. And that's really, I think the work is always better when people feel good about who they're working with and how they're working. So, 
that's the aspiration is to try and take that to that level and and it's been great to be inspired by the kind of the wonderful producers Matt Bimeshaws and the Sonia Friedmans who who I've always had a really good time yeah. working for and um yeah trying to be in that tradition yeah and it's led by a love of theatre really I mean I think that's what I've experienced with particularly with Matt and with Sonia that you know that whilst they are in the business of making it work financially at the at the very core is a complete sort of childlike love yeah of, they love of, the medium and yeah. they know its potential and they really want it to to be great they want it to be great and succeed financially because it's great rather than succeeding financially at any cost yeah yeah um and i think that's a good a really good business model that that um that we would you know be very lucky to be even halfway close to that and still, but still with Headlong as well. No, Headlong's no. gone, yeah. Headlong's the, yeah. gone, I Holly didn't get the memo. Well, he's gone, Headlong's, Headlong's there. there. Headlong's, Headlong's still there. there. Headlong's there, but Joey's it's, not yeah, there with it's, it. I'm not there with it, exactly. It's holding on. And I think it's actually in the current climate because it's about touring and it's about regional yeah. uh, mm. work. Um, and and increasingly about diverse voices. Yeah. That it's it's holding its own and Holly's doing a really good job and will continue to do so. So, but I'm very happy to, to you know, pass that right. back on, on. So my last question is how, um, so to sort of round everything up, how do you hope that if you are trying to attract people who aren't necessarily, you know, don't come from a background of privilege as, as you've talked about, but who have got a kind of inkling that they might like theatre, how do you hope that you will attract people like that in with what you're doing? Increased confidence of bums on seats. When increased confidence and increased, I always think it's that sense of feeling it belongs to you somehow, isn't it? It's I think people, I mean, you know, you you don't have to be, you have to understand what's exciting about the piece of theatre. It has to seem like a good idea. It's yeah. not about bullying people yeah. to go and see something they don't want to see. So you want to, ex- you want to do work that you think is exciting and is it makes a case for the medium which i've always thought you know that what if we're if we're going to do a show then what is it that is like essentially theatrical and exciting about that why is it going to be a good evening and then it's about doing the marketing and the ticket pricing and the access and the publicity and the casting and all of those things about giving people permission to think that would be a good good night out you know well best of enemies certainly is i came out so that was interesting for me because it was one when it opened at the young vic it had a it was one of the, it felt like it was one of the real post-pandemic moments. And um, my husband just sometimes comes to collect me from the theatre and it was raining, so he'd come to collect me. Yeah. And I walked out and he said he could tell I'd had a good evening because I was bouncing along. <laughs> and I was, because he says that sometimes I come out and I look so glum. And, uh. and best of enemies, I definitely came out punching the air. So I'm really looking forward to seeing it again. And thank you Great. for that. And thank you for talking to us. No problem. Thank you for being here. I hope the opening goes brilliantly. So do I. <laughs> you can't tell, can you? I mean, I've done enough to know that it's never as you expect it to be in your wildest dreams. It's always subtly different, whatever the yeah. experience is. So you just got to do your best. And um, I think, you know, it's all sorts of interesting lessons about where you get your validation from and where you, you know, where you rest, and where you get your satisfaction from, from, from the show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, Sarah's presence here, notwithstanding, you know, increasingly, I think it's important not to depend on a critical response to validate 
Yeah. Um, and that's a hard lesson because we depend on critics for s- effectively for free marketing. Yeah. And it, there's a little dance of the devil there where we invite the critics to come in and see the shows and we hope that uh, that they think it's as good as we think it is. And if yeah. they do, then we'll sell a load of tickets. Um, and that is the that is the transaction. Yeah. And that sometimes, you know, they're disobedient and they don't. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we agree. have minds of our own. Well, we've had this conversation a few times, just in, and we, we did a podcast a couple of weeks ago about uh, First Night and the nature of all of that. But then there are, as you say, there is word of mouth and there is zeitgeist and there are things that happen incrementally and no yeah. one really understands what that science is, but it exists. Yeah. I you mean, know. people placing things didn't get great reviews and it's, really? the, it's okay. like, it's the show. Yeah, that was a Duncan McMillan, wasn't it? Yeah. It's the show that people talk to me the most about. Yeah. yeah. It was it's an people, extraordinary people show. People will want to talk about that, you know. And about Denise Goff's performance and the play and the production and everything, um, and that what well, you know didn't set the critics alight. They, it was fine. Yeah. It wasn't bad. It was three stars, wasn't it? It was fairly but it was solid. I remember three, that. Yeah. Three and four stars, yeah. and everyone was like, well, "This is not a great yeah. play, but the performance is good." And then it just built. It just yeah, built. Yeah. The audience response was just well ahead of the critics. Yeah. Um, but and I think that's it's really, really pleasing, you know. I, I, I do think increasingly it's clarity that people respond to, clarity of intention, that sometimes when you, you know, you're, you're sort of trying to create something but you're almost second-guessing what the response would be and building that into the original model, it, it, you lose clarity. Yeah. Whereas actually what was so beautiful about people places and things it was entirely clear in what it was doing and denise was entirely clear in the way that she was sort of channeling this extraordinary story and that i think has its own momentum yeah yeah and that's really powerful when you can harness that it's when you think you've got that but everybody disagrees that it's so depressing (laughs) yeah Yeah. but then i suppose you use patience (laughs) but then you just go okay well you just you've got to you go again you know you try again (laughs) and you try your hardest every time and sometimes things aren't, it's not the right time for things. Yeah, I think I think like, one of the things that we have discovered about making this podcast is that you just never know what will be a sensation and what won't. I mean, yeah. it, you know, and, and yeah, the difference between critical response and audience response, the difference, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting ecology theatre because of that. But yeah. what you rely on is, as I suppose, everybody, as you say, having clarity, having honesty and, and going again. Yeah. So um, so we're very glad you're going again. Yeah. And I'm going to now bring it to close and say thank you very much, Jeremy. Thank you Heron. so much. Thank you. And so it's goodbye from me, Sarah Crompton, the critic. And goodbye from me, Nancy Carroll, the actress. And it's goodbye from me, Jeremy Herrin, the director. <laughs> <laughs>